Welcome to the Sharkpreneur Podcast with Kevin Harrington and Seth Green. Kevin Harrington is the inventor of the infomercial, one of the original sharks from the hit TV show Shark Tank, and has generated over $5 billion in TV and digital direct response sales. Seth Green is the world's first trusted authority on cutting edge direct response marketing, a best-selling author, and the only three-time Marketer of the Year nominee. On the podcast, Kevin and Seth interview sharkpreneurs who share straight talk on what it takes to explode your business. Welcome to the podcast. This is your host, Seth Green. Today, I have the good fortune to be interviewing Kevin Van Eckeren of FulcrumInvesting.com and the State of Logic podcast and a whole bunch of other cool stuff we're about to find out about. Kevin, thank you so much for joining us today. Seth, thanks so much for having me on, man. Uh, our pleasure. Our pleasure. We are fans of the state of logic. Let's go back in time, though, before Fulcrum Investing, before the state of logic. You've been an entrepreneur from an early age, correct? That is correct. When did you get started? How did you get started? So the, the, my first experience was uh, I started working for a SWAT team as a civilian. And How do uh, civilians work for SWAT teams? And how'd you get that gig, man? <laughs> so basically, you're the first person over 300 interviews. We've never had anybody in a SWAT team before. Um, basically, what what how it works is SWAT teams need people like me who are going to organize, bring professionalism, that kind of stuff, um, write grants, those kinds of things. Ah, okay. So you weren't carrying an Uzi. No, 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 no. An H and K. No, you were internal. Okay, correct. Um, and that then when we go out on call-outs, I oh, was also me. one of the equipment people that was helping to manage and handle those things in proper ways as well. All right, so you were um, a big weapons guy. I do like my weapons, yes. Awesome. Um, and so basically, I spent two years really diving into that, coming to, coming to a really deep understanding of it, while also doing ride-alongs with the police thousands of hours every year. And my goal was to really understand this, this world. And then in 2008, when the economy started to not do so well, um, I knew that it would affect funding of police departments. And I knew that the first thing is, that gets cut is training. So I started Fulcrum Tactical to train SWAT teams nationwide. Um, and any day you get to shoot stuff and blow stuff up and you get paid is a good day. Amen. So, I really enjoyed that. It was so much fun, but I am not a tactical trainer. I had to go out and hire those people. And so we started as a charity, uh, training people for free, getting donations, that kind of thing. And uh, we knew that eventually it would have to be, uh, it would have to be funded by the government. It was the only way this was going to work. And thankfully, 18 months later, uh, the government stepped in and started funding it. And that month we went for profit and we started getting government contracts. That is awesome. So um, how, how many SWAT teams or police departments, did you, how many customers did you serve? Oh, dear Lord. Lord. I mean, it's still going, you know, since I exited it. So I don't know what the total was, but I can tell you this. During, while we were a charity, we were running classes up to 120 people in one class. And we do that many, many times in a year. And we'd have several trainers in that, uh, teaching their different specialties. And then we started traveling to SWAT teams. And we had 48 different specialties, a bunch of adjunct instructors, and one um, head instructor. His name's Steve Claggett. He's one of the grandfathers of the modern SWAT movement. And uh, so we trained a lot of people, and, and people from all over the country. Uh, it was a great experience, and it allowed me, as a civilian, to learn how all these different police departments 
around the country work. And they are very, very different from, from just the location where you grew up or, you know, you know, that kind of thing. That is awesome. All right. So that was Fulcrum Tactical. You said you exited. Uh, what was your next entrepreneurial, your next venture? Yeah. So um, I had already started a farm. Um, and that was just because I was at the same time as a CEO of a, of a tech startup, which did not work because if anyone knows me, they know I'm a technological moron and it was just not a wise thing. I was an investment I made and I was like, I got to help these guys. And it just didn't, it was, it was a bad experience, but I learned far more from that failure than anything else I've ever done. What were and some then, of the biggest takeaway? Cause we talk on the show a lot about um, how we learn more from failure than we learn from success. What were some of the biggest takeaways you got from that experience? Other than one, don't be with tech unless it involves firearms. <laughs> um, I, I think one is that you have to have the right team in place. And I certainly didn't. Uh, two is the CEO needs to be an expert uh, in that field. And three is that if, if you go down the road of trying to throw good money after bad, it's not going to work out. You need to know when to pull the plug. Uh, and, and that's what I didn't understand at the time. All right. Awesome. And very important and difficult lessons to learn. Um, so you said you started a farm as in farm as in grow things in the ground farm. Correct. I live on it currently. So that's where I am today. And, um, it was my way of, I was working 80 to a hundred hours a week. It was, it was awful. And I was trying to become a business expert. I was trying to understand the police world and I was just found myself very stressed and I needed to find something that was going to keep me physically active and also something that I really enjoy. And I've always liked animals. So I bought acreage as an investment. And then I was like, well, I have acreage. I put myself with some chickens on it. And before you know it, some, Somehow I was giving away my chicken eggs because I can't eat 20 eggs a day. And then restaurant owners started getting a hold of them and they started ordering them. And I'm like, I don't have a license. So I can't sell anything to you yet. And it just grew from there to the point where we have thousands of animals now. Wow. That is absolutely incredible. That's you're also the first farmer I think we've ever had on the show. Yes. I love being the first. And you certainly don't look like a farmer. <laughs> Whatever that stereotype may be. We need you to chew some hay or something and put on some overalls or whatever that is. And a is. cowboy hat. Yeah, oh, yeah. A flannel shirt. We've now just offended a bunch of people, but that's okay. <laughs> They're probably not our audience. <laughs> now, um, then you started – how did Fulcrum Investing come about? So you exited Fulcrum Tactical. You worked at, You were running a tech startup that didn't work. You started a farm. Um, and how did Fulcrum Investing come about? So I had been investing on the side since 2006 and quite honestly, and what, what, how are you defining investing? Just so our listeners and our viewers understand. I was investing first in when we say like friends and family, like the very first round someone gets in, that's what I was originally investing in because I didn't have inroads to invest in any other way. Say, so you got to have a lot of friends and family who happen to know people starting companies. Exactly. Yes. And so as we went down that route, it was, it was exciting and interesting, but also had such a high failure rate that I didn't like it. And I didn't invest a ton. It was just a few times a year. It wasn't a huge amounts of money, but I felt like I know I can do this better. And, and so I started doing research as I saw the time to, to leave Fulcrum Tactical coming. I said, okay, what am I going to do? And, and investing in startups seemed like it, it, it hit my two main goals. One, I get to do something I love 
which is business. And two, I get to help. I get to not only make money, but I also get to help our economy. And so if I can do all those things, I am really happy. And, and so far, you know, that's, that's what we've done. So I found a team of six other people at the time that uh, could really accomplish this with me because I don't have all the answers. I will openly tell you that. And so they fill in my weaknesses. And so we, we take very deep dives on uh, startups that, that are anything from a seed round all the way through to a series B. So it can be a small or a large investment. And then we make a determination after a month and we use psychological profiling and all these other things that I've learned through either police work or, you know, just uh, outside interests. Um, and the main concept is to eliminate bias while coming to an informed decision. Awesome. So how, just out of curiosity, how many deals are you looking through on an annual basis? So I would say the first year we looked at probably 400 um, and it was just overwhelming. And now I'd say we look more at maybe a hundred, but those are coming only from investors that we know and trust. So you've built yourself a network and this is all in the Chicagoland area. Well, so even the, actually my investor friends are from all over the country. And I invest all of the country, not just Chicago land. Oh, okay. All right. I apologize. Thank you for clarifying. Okay. So you are having deals brought to you, evaluating them, turning away plenty, and then making strategic investments in a small number. Correct. Yes. And so you've got some deal flow, which is the first part. And tell me a little bit about your vetting process, because that's obviously paramount to making any of this work. Yes. So um, we are... A little bit secretive about our vetting process, so I can only go into some things. But basically, we use certain psychological profiling tests. That's of the help. that's of the operators, the owners of the business. That is correct. Okay. And when we, when you're investing in an early stage startup, our belief is you're making a bet on the jockey, not the horse. Right. Because the horse may very well change. Um, so one, we want to evaluate them and their team. Two, we want to go in and understand the company and where where the vision of that entrepreneur is going to take that. Three is can the market sustain what that's what what route you're going to go down? So, for example, our first investment was our worst investment, and didn't it know was, any better, exactly. And and so we got into fracking. Uh, it was a way to clean fracking yep. water. Well, that was two and a half years ago when fracking was big. Now we had a bunch of wells shut down, and the guy actually lied to us and and didn't tell us about the massive startup costs for each well. So. Um, we, we went down the road of that and said, oh crap, we made a big mistake. Um, and so that, that made, made us just push harder on vetting and diligence and psychological profiling. And now, um, a lot of entrepreneurs or a lot of, um, investors come back to us and ask for our diligence on things, which is kind of awesome. Have you thought about, have you systemized that process? So now it's like a step-by-step, these are the steps we go through for every deal. Yes. And obviously we're also iterating constantly. Sure. I'm sure it's um, always evolving. But yes, we, 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 we make sure that that is a system we follow. This is not kind of a ragtag thing where we're going to get it right once and mess it up the other time. Right. Because we're talking about big money and, and we can't make those mistakes. All right. So if you've got a evolving but somewhat defined vetting process, which is after deal flow, the most important thing in 
early stage investing. Have you thought at all about productizing that and teaching that to other investors in other areas? Um, I have thought about it. I have not gone down the road of it. And the reason I say that is because we have a challenge just teaching our entrepreneurs to run their businesses properly. Um, I like the investors I work with, but that is few and far in between. <laughs> and a lot of investors, I believe, go down the road of they start their own company, they have success in their own company, and now there's too much ego there to listen to someone else. And I'm not in the business of pushing my beliefs on anyone if someone doesn't want to listen. So, so. you talked about helping your entrepreneurs run their company. So you're not just writing a check and walking away. Talk about that. No. Yeah, so we have a team of seven others now and myself who stay involved for at least 12 months after the investment. And, and so we, you know, we allow them to uh, use these psychological um, tricks that we have to hire the right people, retain the right people. But then we go down the road of um, getting on boards. I mean, I think I'm on five boards right now. It's constantly changing. Um, and I'm also constantly jumping into um, new businesses and trying to really help them. And my team is doing the same. So we have an in-house consultant. We have an in-house part-time COO if people need it. So we've gone down the road of providing all the support someone could possibly need. That is awesome. With all the success you've achieved, what's your biggest challenge? Man, my biggest challenge is, is hiring and retaining the right people. And it's, it's something that we've gotten much, much better at. But no matter what, you are always going to be taking a risk hiring. I, I have lived that lesson painfully quite a few times. Yes. And, and so have I. And so I think we, we need to kind of have a little bit of a revolution around how our hiring practices resumes are no longer worth a crap um i've hired people that have amazing references amazing resumes and they are some of the worst people <laughs> because you can very easily lie no matter how much investigation you do um and so i think we need to start going down the road of of building out a more um researchable uh resume platform that is virtual and and having an understanding of who, who this person truly is and, and have them put more effort and, and more time into building out a, a video series or whatever it is. And I've seen people do this effectively where they're We're actually doing that in our recruiting funnel where after they submit the resume, the next step is they have to submit a video application. There you go. Yes. And it works so well because now you're getting a better sense of that person just from, you know, other than a piece of paper. Absolutely. What do you like best about what you're doing now? I love that every day I get to work in a different industry. Anyone that knows me, for example, knows that I wear basically the exact same thing every day. So fashion. You followed Steve Jobs and Mark Zuckerberg. Uh, yeah, I can't, I can't hold a, a candle to those people. I'm just saying that I have no fashion sense. And so. I was trying to give you more credit, man. <laughs> well, there's no need for that. But um, what I will say is that even, even though I have no fashion sense, I've been able to successfully help my fashion investments. And so it doesn't matter what we get into because I'm going to rely on the CEO to be the expert. I just want to be the backup. I want to be the backstop to say, that isn't right. Maybe you should rethink about this strategy. But, but that's what I really love is I don't get bored. I, I can relate to that. My, one of my favorite parts of our marketing firm is we work in different industries all day long because all our clients are 
in different places, in different parts of the world and in different industries. So I get to learn lots of new stuff every day. It is so interesting, isn't it? Yes. I can now tell you what a cross-filled big bite rotor is. And other than, other than that, as a, other than the manufacturer as a client, I never would have known. Sure, exactly. Yes, I am, I'm totally on board You need with more that. stopping power on your Corvette. The brakes that come with it just don't stop fast enough. <laughs> there you go. All right. Uh, awesome story. Amazing interview. Incredible uh, business that you've built, businesses that you've built. For our folks who are resonating with this, who want to learn more, maybe they want to invest alongside you. We're not making any offer or solicitation here, of course, but if they want to invest alongside you or if they want to bring you a deal or if they're looking for capital, what is the best way for them to learn more about you? Um, honestly, I think the best way is the state of logic. We have a very open uh, platform there where people can send messages on the website and that kind of thing. My, my fellow host and I uh, are both investors. And so uh, some things that he invests, I don't invest in and vice versa. So it's a great way of, of getting a hold of us, uh, it's called, or you can email us at connect at thestateoflogic.com. And the website for the podcast is thestateoflogic.com. All right, Kevin, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks so much for having me, Seth. This show has been produced by Market Domination, LLC. To discover how you can have your own show completely done for you and turn it into a real published book and become the authority in your marketplace, go to www.marketdominationllc.com slash podcast offer. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.